75 years, the University of Utah Press has brought to life books on a wide range of topics, from folklore to the history of Utah and the West, the natural sciences, and Middle Eastern and Mormon studies. Can't resist mentioning the first book the press published, New Teeth for Old, by Victor Sears back in 1949. More recent books, This is the Plate, about Utah's food culture, and Utah English, about our state's unique linguistics, are also part of the University of Utah Press. Most universities of our stature have an in-house press, and today we're going to hear about the used press from director Glenda Cotter. Glenda, welcome to You Rising, and I hope you'll tell us about that first book. Well, thanks so much, Chris. It's a pleasure to meet you, and thanks for this opportunity to tell your listeners a bit more about the University of Utah Press. As to that first book, New Teeth for Old, it's a brief little volume on dentures. Dr. Sears' rather cheerily delivered first sentence is, so you're going to lose your teeth. <laughs> and then he goes on to detail the advantages and disadvantages of your new dentures. He includes lots of good advice, a few recipes on easy-to-chew foods, and does his best to console people about losing their natural teeth. It's a very practical book, really. It really yeah. is. It really is. And it's very unlike anything we've published, published before since. or since. Excellent. Well, obviously before. <laughs> so how did you get into this job? How did you become director? I started at the press in late 1990 as a part-time editorial assistant when I finished my graduate work here at the university. And I subsequently held various editorial positions, eventually becoming the managing editor in 2003, I believe. And in 2009, I was asked by the dean of the Marriott Library to assume the role of acting director after a period of a little confusion at the press. And about a year and a half later, I was made the full-time director and I have to say, and if it's okay that I can thank people who are no longer part of the press, but I was mentored by three of the most wonderful former directors of the press, uh, Norma Mickelson, Nana Anderson, and Jeff Grathwall, and their mentorship is really what helped prepare me to be yeah. the director. That, that theme comes up on a lot of these these podcasts about just the legacy of being part of the University of Utah. We're all just part of this amazing organization that people come before us and people will come after us and we just get to be part of this really cool culture. It's really true. And, you know, added to that is a different sort of mentoring I've had from library deans, and that's just been equally important, as well as their staunch support for what we do yeah. at the press. Talk about, talk, talk about the press. How big's your staff? Our staff includes seven full-time employees, including myself, and two graduate assistants from the Environmental Humanities Program. And we've, we've really liked that program, working with the grad students from that program. Our offices are on the fifth floor of the Merritt Library. And we feel like when we moved into this space in late 2008, we really became part of the heart of the university. We nice. loved being in the library. Yeah. I think the question probably then is how many, over the last 75 years, how many books does a press currently have in print? Currently, we have in print more than 650 titles. And that includes both hardcover and paperback books. We also have ebooks. We've got some audiobooks as well. That's an initiative we've started in the last four or five years. And all our books are available, local bookshops. If you can't find them on the shelves, they can order them mm. for you. They're in libraries. They're at online retailers. All the usual places you would find books, our books are available. 
I was talking to a friend, and he was telling me that he was on. He was an hour into his book, and I had never heard that description. And I, was, I pressed him <laughs> because he'd been driving around listening to it. I was like, "Oh, you're an hour into the book, not how many pages, Ex- but the time frame." <laughs> exactly. So one, one of the questions I've always had is, what, what are the areas that the University of Utah Press focuses on? It's not just any book; it's specific areas, if I understand it. Yes, we so we focus on archaeology, anthropology, Mesoamerica linguistics, Utah and Western history, Mormon studies, American Indian studies, environmental sustainability and environmental humanities, natural history, creative nonfiction, and then regional guidebooks and other regional titles. Gotcha. Some of those are obvious why you chose those, but what's the history of some of those topics? Was the university... Was it tied to university expertise or just the... Often it is tied to university expertise. For instance, the archaeology and anthropology was part of what we have done since the very beginning. Uh, One major project that began right at the beginning of the press's history was a collaboration with the School of American Research, not at the university, but with uh, Charles Dibble, who was a professor of anthropology here, and his co-translator, Arthur Anderson, to translate the Florentine Codex from Nahuatl into English. Huge project. The final book is uh, 12 volumes, but the translation process took 20 years. Any, any additional books on dentistry or just No, that one? no. As far as I know, only just that first one. Okay. one. <laughs> so you've been leading the press for 15 years. Uh, do you have a favorite book or maybe a couple of favorites? Oh, so many favorites. That's a hard question to answer. The first book that came to mind is a book called Gasa Gasa Girl Goes to Camp by Lily Havey. And it's a very personal exploration of the time she and her family spent in a Japanese-American internment camp during World War II. In addition to very lively and thoughtful text, she's an artist, and so she produced a number of sometimes just gorgeous and sometimes gorgeous and disturbing watercolors that are published in the book. So it's this lovely full-color book, but it explores a very important part of our nation's history. Give us that title again. Gasa Gasa Girl Goes to Camp. Okay. Um, The full title is A Nisei Youth Behind a World War II Fence. Okay. So that's a favorite. More recently is a book that you mentioned in your introduction. This is The Plate, Plate, which is an exploration of Utah's uh, food traditions, and it was created by three linguists, one from uh, Salt Lake City, who Carol Edison, Eric Eliason at BYU, and Lynn McNeil up at Utah State. And it's not a cookbook, but it's a serious study of food traditions in Utah, including Native American populations, immigrants, of course, you know, Mormon communities. And it's also the book you want to turn to if you want to learn about fry sauce, green jello, or funeral potatoes. <laughs> fry sauce. Yeah, I, I was going to make a joke about funeral potatoes and green jello, but the fry sauce, I forgot. Oh, you Very can't nice. forget fry sauce. Yeah. That's that's my favorite. There's no reason to have French fries if you don't have fry sauce. We are recording this late in the afternoon, and I would say that is making me um, actually very hungry. So. <laughs> My apologies. <laughs>
Anything else? Uh, yeah, several others. Another recent one is by linguist David Eddington. His book is called Utah English and explores the various dialects of Utah and how they differ from or are sometimes similar to other regions of the U.S. And so he goes into quite a bit of detail about how you figure out which expressions are unique and why. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So he looks at things like, oh, so cute, <laughs> uh, which turns out to be related to similar expressions in Minnesota and North Dakota, possibly because of Danish and Norwegian immigrants. He has a chapter that he calls Shifty Utah Vowels, which I think is just delightful. And then he talks a bit about the pronunciation of hurricane, and he proposes that the reason for that is uh, the large influx of British immigrants early in Utah's history, and that's a holdover from their pronunciation. But why it's stuck only in the town of Hurricane, it's a little harder to get to. But that's fun. And we've got so many titles. I mean, I could go on and on. One title that university students really like is Hiking the Wasatch by John Varanth, which is a hiking guide to both easy and very difficult trails. How about some books that might uh, surprise our listeners? Well, the one that comes to mind there, I think, is David Sallow's A Gateway to Sindarin, a grammar of an elvish language from J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. It is a serious linguistic study, and Tolkien spent a lot of his life carefully creating several languages, but the Sindarin elvish is the one Sallow looks at. The book is probably over the head of people who aren't linguists, serious linguists, except there, there's this wonderful introduction where you find a timeline of significant events during the three ages of Middle Earth. So if you're a Tolkien fan, this book right. is great fun. And it's been, it's been in print for nearly 20 years, and it still it remains one of our bestsellers. So, yeah, well, there's some diehard Tolkien fans there, out there. There so. are. And the author, David Sallow, actually was linguistic consultant to Peter Jackson when he made the Lord of the Rings films. So, oh, interesting. Yeah. Authors who launched their careers with the press, anyone we would recognize? Yeah, I think so. One uh, author that comes to mind is Mark Sprague, who wrote Where Rivers Change Direction. And that's a beautiful collection of essays about his relationship with the spaces of Wyoming, with animals, with itself, in the landscapes of the Continental Divide. It was his first book when the press published it in 1999, and he later went on to write two successful novels, and we don't publish novels, so we didn't publish those. But one of them, uh, An Unfinished Life, became a movie starring Robert Redford, Jennifer Lopez, and Morgan Freeman. So we felt like we launched him on a very yeah, important for sure. career. for sure. And then another one, which is a little closer to home, in 1993, the press published an early career book by Martha Sontag Bradley Evans, who is a, that book was kidnapped from the land the government raids on the Short Creek Polygamous. Marty joined the faculty of the University of Utah the following year, and she's had a distinguished career here. I mean, everybody knows her, I think. Right. I, I, you know, I graduated in the '90s, and I don't, I can't think of a colleague who did not have a class from from Marty. Exactly, right? yeah. exactly. And so we published that back in 1993. 
2021, we published her Architectural Travel Guide to Utah, which is a beautifully illustrated guide if you're interested in architecture and want something a little unusual when you're driving around the state of Utah. It's arranged by regions, and it's a fun book just to have in your car. I think you've given us an idea for the next, a future guest. Get Dr. Oh, she's, she's wonderful, and she'd love to talk about that book, I'm sure. And we've also, we're also working with her on uh, her newest book called Constructing Space, Six Communal Religious Groups in Their Spatial Worlds, and that's currently undergoing revisions, but we're really happy to be publishing that. So we feel like we've kind of spanned her career. Yeah. So let's talk about the logistics a little bit since, since you brought that process up. So for instance, how many manuscripts do you receive annually? Well, we receive, we were trying to figure this out. It's not a metric that we track. Certainly well over a hundred manuscripts that we look at every year, and we of those we probably accept about one third for publication, so the mi- minority of what we yeah. receive is there a connection to Utah and the University of Utah with those submitters, or it can be anyone from anywhere It can be anyone from anywhere we publish you know as I described with Marty Bradley, we publish university authors, but we have authors from all around the world so so why would a author pitch to an academic press like the University of Utah press versus you know a mass market publisher? Well, a lot of the books that we publish are monographs or edited volumes on pretty specialized subjects. And they're not the kind of books that are going to sell the thousands of copies that a big trade publisher is interested in. But they're books that we firmly believe have great value in disseminating uh, the results of scholarly research in the world. So those are the kind of authors that come to the University of Utah Press. Gotcha. And yeah. for Tolkien fans who want to study. Exactly. Language, yeah, I gotcha. <laughs> the process, so it's from, from submission to publication, is there an average or is it unique depending on the author and the project? Well, from submission of final manuscript to the uh, finished book, it's about 10 to 11 months. And that part of the process includes copy editing, typesetting, proofreading, indexing. The process that precedes the submission of that final manuscript, I think, is where we additionally add a lot of value. And it can be a highly variable process because one of the things that as a university press we must do is carefully peer review each manuscript that we received so that that can be a very lengthy peer review process or revision process, and then all our books have to be approved for publication by our faculty advisory committee. Yeah, so let's talk about that process a little bit for considering manuscripts. Are you giving feedback on the manuscripts? You talked about the the, the validating, but maybe talk about that a little bit, what, a, what an author would experience working with your team. We are. Uh, we ask, our submission guidelines are all on our website, but we ask authors first to submit a proposal fairly detailed proposal telling us as much as they can in a brief space about their book. And that helps us consider whether it fits our publication lists and saves everybody a lot of time. If it does fit our list, then we'll ask to see the full manuscript. And we have two acquiring editors, uh, Justin Bracken and Jedediah Rogers, and they both have 
PhDs and expertise in their areas. Justin does our archaeology and anthropology. Jed does a lot of the rest of our list. They will review the manuscripts. They'll present them to the full staff of the press. We'll consider them and greenlight green light them uh, to move forward. And then uh, they go out for peer review. We always have uh, at least two peer reviews by experts in the field. And the results of that can be as simple as this is the most wonderful thing ever. You'd be crazy not to publish it. Or this is a wonderful book that makes a lot uh, an important contribution, but it needs work, and here are the revisions we suggest. And the author always has a chance to respond to those revisions, and most of them are very grateful because they know that this process makes their final work better. Yeah. You mentioned a future book by, by Marty Bradley. Any other sneak previews you want to give us, upcoming titles? We've got some really interesting books forthcoming in our spring-summer season. One that I'm particularly excited about is Sustainability for the Forgotten by Gary Matchless. And it's a passionate, provocative challenge to the sustainability movement to put the needs of the forgotten and the poorest of the poor first in their planning rather than sometimes overlooking it completely. It's not like any other book on sustainability, but I think it will be an important call to action. And related to that is uh, a book called Sustainable Capitalism, which is an edited volume by Inara Scott, and it provides an interdisciplinary perspective on the question, is capitalism compatible with sustainability? Then we're publishing in this season a lot of really short pieces. We've got a short volume, uh, How to Respond Better to the Next Pandemic by Alan Buchanan. That was one of the Tanner Lectures on Human Values, and we've worked with the Tanner uh, folks since the very beginning. That lecture was delivered at Cambridge in 2022. And then we're publishing four uh, brief volumes on the Great Salt Lake that were part of last year's Stegner Center Symposium. And we're very excited about these four volumes by Kevin Perry, Bonnie Baxter, Darren Perry, and Bishop Christopher Waddell. So, and uh, yeah, we have an initiative called uh, Utah Series on the Great Salt Lake and the Great Basin. And these won't go in that series, but they're very related to what we're doing in that series. Boy, timely, timely, timely stuff. Well, Glenda, thank you. And congratulations on 75 years of the University of Utah Press and also being part of this tremendous legacy as director. Listeners, that's it for today's episode of You Rising. Uh, one note, the transcript for this podcast includes a link where you can learn more about the press and its book catalog. Our executive producer is Brooke Adams, and our technical producer is Robert Nelson. I'm Chris Nelson. I hope you'll tune in next time.